You're listening to the Wellness Insider Network, episode number 40. Welcome to the Wellness Insider Network podcast, a place where you discover how to create a balanced, vibrant, and stress-free life with the right food, herbs, and self-care techniques. I'm your host, Lana Camille. I'm a college professor, drug information pharmacist, and an herbalist. Thank you for joining me on this adventure. Let's get the show started. Hello, Wellness Insiders. I hope you're doing very well. Most of our food and herbs come from farms, big and small. But did you know that farmers who are herbalists are different? Their medicinal herbs and products are also quite different. In this episode, I'd like you to meet a friend of mine who has been walking this path for the past few decades. Her name is Linda Shanahan. I met Linda in 2010 during one of the herbal programs we both attended and have been fascinated by her work ever since. Linda is a practitioner, she's an educator, she's a farmer, and a medicine maker. Linda is a registered nurse with an over a decade of experience providing care in the hospital setting. She also has two decades of experience studying, growing, and using herbs. Linda provides her patients and clients with a balanced approach to understanding safe, practical, and effective self-care with herbs. She offers herbal consultations from answering questions regarding herbal use to going to doctor's appointments as an advocate for best care practices. Linda, as an educator, has created a program to help promote self-sufficiency, a deeper sense of well-being, and a stronger community of environmentally conscious people. Her farm, Barefoot Botanicals, strives to provide her customers with the highest quality of herbs and herbal products on the market. The farm is certified organic, but Linda and her husband, Eric, go above and beyond to promote habitat and regenerate ecosystems as the caretakers of their land. By the end of this episode, I hope you'll consider supporting local businesses in your area that utilize similar principles to Barefoot Botanicals, and you will gain better appreciation for the work of herb farmers. I also hope that this conversation will help you to ask better questions from people you purchase your herbs and products from. Enjoy. Linda, good morning. How are you doing? Good morning. Hi, Lana. I'm doing well. I'm so excited that we're able to talk. I know you're in the middle of a chamomile and peony harvest, so I really appreciate that you're able to <laughs> chat with me this morning. So, oh, yeah. Um. I want to ask you a few questions, and I think that we will begin with how it all started for you. Can you take us back a few years and tell us uh, why did you decide to become an herbalist? Well, I grew up in the Philadelphia area, and I went to college here, and then I moved west, and I was living in southern Oregon, which has a totally different climate and environment. And I was feeling homesick and a little bit lonely. And the way that I was able to connect with the place that I lived was to learn about what was growing around me. The plants there were so different than where I grew up. Where I grew up was lush and green and 
moist. And in Southern Oregon, it's fire country. It's dry. Mm -hmm. Uh, They do get rain through the winter, but it's, uh, there's just very interesting different species that are fire dependent, like Madrone and Manzanita. Mm -hmm. And so I was interested in kind of connecting with these plants and it started with just, you know, getting some guidebooks and exploring their names. And then I took a basket weaving class and Uh I started to learn how to use some plants physically. And then it kind of progressed into wanting to take some kind of more deep connection with them. And I started to learn about how they're used medicinally. And so I reached out to, uh, the internet was just becoming a thing. This was the mid nineties. So Mm -hmm. I was just starting to be able to search online for things. And I found that there was this herbalist in Eugene, which was quite a bit North from me, a few hours North um, named Howie. And I, I reached out to him and he did interviews in September. And so I uh, asked if I could uh, study with him and he said, I'd love to interview you. So I Mm -hmm. went up, met with him and I actually moved to Eugene, Oregon to study with this herbalist, Howie Brownstein. So, um, and Steve Yeager. So I, that was my start and that was in the late nineties. Okay. And then, uh, ultimately I lived in on the West coast for a number of years, studied with some other herbalists there and then moved to the back to the East coast to be closer to family. Okay. And when I moved back here, I wanted to learn more about people and mm-hmm. conventional medicine. So I went back to school for nursing I thought about nutrition. I thought about medicine. I thought about lots of different things. I thought mm-hmm. nursing would be the most general, broad, easy to access completion. <laughs> so I um, I did that and kind of learned a different side of things. And so uh, I then continued my herbal studies with uh, David Winston and some other teachers here on the East Coast. And so uh, through workshops and things, I studied intensively with David, but then did some uh, workshops and conferences to keep myself up to date. And ultimately, all all through this time, after moving back east, uh, my husband and I, again, felt a little bit lost. And our way to connect with the place that we lived was to be a little crazy and start an organic farm. We didn't have a lot of access to organic food, and we were so used to a really great food culture where we lived. And so... Uh, we started initially producing vegetables. I always had an herb garden here, uh, but ultimately over the last decade, we've transitioned from vegetables, uh, flowers, and herbs to ultimately just doing medicinal herbs. You guys are uh, absolutely so amazing. Yeah. 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 So one of the places that I learned a bit about this was uh, going up to Gold Thread Farm, which is where we met. Mama, right, right. Uh, uh, to see how they did things. I know Bill Siff, I heard about him and what he was doing, that he was having, um, you know, a little bit more of an experimental situation in which he was combining education with herb production. He's an acupuncturist and had an in-town store and practice. So I kind of wanted to see what was happening up there. And that allowed me to become even more inspired. So that was the beginning of our transition from vegetables to herbs uh, back. I think that was 2007. 2010. 2008. 2010. 2010. Okay. All right. Actually, that would be, yeah, after I started farming. So, yeah. yeah. 
Okay. All right. That's great. So I'm yeah. going, I'm going to take you one step back. So you became yeah. a nurse. And so I, I actually am mm -hmm. very interested in all these different directions that, uh, you have. Um, so, but let me take you back to becoming a nurse and becoming, being mm -hmm. a herbalist. And how were you able to provide support to the community where you live? Like, what is, what, what did it look before? What does it look today? Okay, so before would be before I became a nurse? Probably, yes. Yep. Okay, so uh, prior to becoming a nurse, I was primarily not calling myself an herbalist yet. <laughs> um, I had studied with a number of teachers. I was harvesting uh, and making medicines and sharing them with my community. So I guess you could call me kind of a family community herbalist mm -hmm. um, at that time. And I really didn't have a deep enough understanding of the ways in which people were moving through the world in a conventional sense mm -hmm. and how to inter how to integrate the systems that people were interacting with. And I wanted to understand that more and I didn't feel fully comfortable. Okay. So um, when I went to school for nursing, I, I just gained a much more deeper foundation in anatomy and physiology and uh, lots of other, you know, things like, some conventional understanding of mm -hmm. nutrition, um, but also uh, the the world in which people lived when they were dealing with health issues. I, I wanted to understand that more deeply. So I were, ended up working in critical care, mm -hmm. uh, which really separated me from herbalism completely because I'm working with IV drips and people on ventilators and, uh, you know, just a whole different world. And I uh, ended up dropping my herbalism practice for a while, not completely, but in my professional world, I certainly couldn't use it at the time or I didn't see a way to. Mm -hmm. So ultimately I ended up leaving the hospital setting and went out into the community and worked in hospice. Mm -hmm. And it was in hospice that I really found a way to integrate my two worlds of understanding Okay. Uh, for one, because hospice, the philosophical approach is holistic. You're looking at the whole situation, the family, the connections that that patient has with their community. You're connecting them with resources. You're working with a team. So you're trying to address all of their issues, all of the concerns that the patient may be experiencing um, with a team approach. And so that underlying philosophical approach was more aligned with my understanding of how we should be approaching care generally, which comes from my herbalism mm -hmm. training. Mm -hmm. uh, and so that was the one way I felt more comfortable. And then I also felt more comfortable introducing things like herbal teas and, um, you know, bringing I don't, I didn't use a lot of essential oils, but I would use aromatic plants to do foot baths and do things like that for my patients and their families. So mm -hmm. I would offer gifts. For example, I would sometimes, if I had a family member who was not sleeping, which was very common, particularly at the end of life, a spouse would be taking care of their spouse and, uh, or loved one and just not being able to sleep. And so I would sometimes bring someone a sleep blend just as a gift, mm -hmm. you know, and it was a way for me to make a connection with people and it was a way for me to kind of step outside my nursing realm and bring in a little bit of my plant realm into my practice. Um, I did start to learn more about some of the eclectic uses of plants mm -hmm. from times when we didn't have access to things like 
uh, Ativan and Valium and morphine and some of, of the course. things that we use more aggressively in hospice care. Um, and I wished I stayed in hospice long enough to really pursue that a bit because mm-hmm. I had situations in which I, I really wished I had something in my toolbox because there were times when I had no medications and it was three in the morning and there was no pharmacy. You know, mm-hmm. there were times when I really wished that I had herbs. Um, and I was developing kind of a hospice toolkit. Mm-hmm. with things like hops and uh, things that may help uh, with things like terminal agitation or uh, severe pain. Uh, but I didn't ever get to that point because I ended up leaving hospice to go to graduate school. Okay. Um, so the two weren't terribly compatible because hospice is 24-7. <laughs> of course. And so what did you study in graduate yeah. school? Uh, I went to school for public health nursing. So okay. I studied... Um, kind of bigger picture. It was a way for me to combine my background in agriculture, which I had developed over the last 10 years, Mm -hmm. uh, with herbalism and nursing. So I wanted to try to find a way to combine them all. And mostly when with public health nursing, you're, you're focusing on policy, bigger, bigger picture issues that are community and beyond. So, Mm -hmm. Um, policy. I was looking at agricultural policy, antibiotic use uh, in veterinary practice uh, and its effect on populations surrounding particularly animal um, uh, CAFOs or concentrated animal feeding operations and Mm -hmm. also in the general uh, critical and acute care culture. Um, And then also uh, a lot of public speaking, you know, putting together presentations and of arguing your points in front of the mayor or the, the governor or whoever it is that you're trying to make your peace with. Okay. And of course, during all this time, you're farming, right? Yes. Yes. Okay. All right. So um, bring us to your farm, if you can. Tell us a little bit about it. Where is it? So how long have you... You said that you've been farming since 2008? Yes. Okay. So, mm-hmm. so we... Where where is the farm? What do you grow? Who do you grow it for? Uh, has your dream became become a reality for you and your husband? Yeah. So we started farming in 2008 after moving back here a few years prior. We moved from the Pacific Northwest back to southeastern Pennsylvania. My husband's from Michigan. Okay. So he was unfamiliar with this area aside from the visits that we had made together to visit my family. Uh, but when I moved back, there were there was one brand new organic farm in our county, mm-hmm. and there was another that was starting. And we figured, you know, maybe we could start our own farm because there was none in our town or immediately around us. Mm-hmm. And we looked into leasing land. We found uh, a great um, family who wanted to find an alternative use for where they were because they owned land that was being managed for sod production, which is very chemically intensive in order to be certified sod it has to be 97 percent weed free which means that they use a lot of chemicals to maintain that status mm-hmm. and so they didn't want and they were dependent on well water so they didn't want that to be happening anymore on their site and through mutual friends they found us we ended up uh working with them to come up with a it was already in a conservation plan the land but mm-hmm. we came up with a kind of a water management plan we built berms and created some permacultural installations around the tilled fields to kind of offset the impact of the agriculture, but also to bring life to the site, which had been in sod for 
nearly 20 years. So it was basically a dead zone. In my opinion, it was really very little uh, wildlife here. So we created a wildlife corridor. Uh, I planted three acres total with one of the acres being warm season grasses and we only farm 10. So it was a pretty big chunk of what we're growing. Mm -hmm. So, um, so we did that. We did that organically without Roundup, which was kind of a big deal because people in the conservation, the plant conservation and native plant communities were all telling me I needed to use Roundup, which I refused to do. So we had to kind of figure out a way to do it without. Um, so over the, over the course of our time farming, I always also grew herbs. I started to become known around my little community as uh, knowing about herbs. So we would do farmer's market and people started to just come to me with questions about health issues mm-hmm. because I was a nurse and I also knew about herbs and where I gotten around. So my herbalism practice kind of developed alongside the farm mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. the community was just asking for it basically. And so over time, my little herb garden, which was supplying, you know, my little tincture making projects and providing things for people in the community for free, basically, mm-hmm. uh, over time that, that herb garden became bigger and bigger. And ultimately we started to grow contract for, we started to contract grow for small herb companies. So for example, mm-hmm. one of my teachers, David Winston, he owns a company called Herbalist and Alchemist. And his company was the first to be willing to work with me to kind of project out a need and be understanding if we failed, but they were totally flexible with us and said, mm-hmm. you know, we use this many pounds of this and that. What do you, what would you feel comfortable trying out this year? And so we agreed to grow some Tulsi basil for them because we knew how to grow, grow basil. Mm-hmm. We've grown tons of Tulsi basil already. So I figured, you know, we can probably just expand what we're doing and grow it for them. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. we did. And that first season, we provided them with a few hundred pounds. And my husband and I harvested, packed, delivered with a 24-hour period. And we were able to process that whole order by ourselves with just the two of us. And for that same amount of payoff, it took a, a crew of three to four people harvesting, processing, washing, packing to go to the next day and then make less money. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so we decided, you know, maybe this herb thing is something that we should consider doing mm-hmm. more of. And so we started to, you know, put our feelers out for other buyers. And we ha- now have a few regular, basically, um, wholesale customers that mm-hmm. we grow mm-hmm. for each, each season. And they are mostly in this area, but I have a couple on the West Coast. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to be shipping out some some uh, dried herbs today to a buyer out there. And so it just kind of mostly is herbal companies, but we are increasingly doing skincare, providing for skincare companies who are really value high quality herbs. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. that's a growing, that's a growing market for us. And then last year we started to do um, distill aromatic plants for hydrosol production, wow. which is something that I'm really, really excited about. So that was, again, I learned I was first exposed to that from Bill Siff in uh, Massachusetts. And ever since then, I thought, you know, we should really consider this. We grow so many aromatic plants. And so my husband built a still. Mm -hmm. And so we've been distilling aromatic plants for primarily the aromatic water or hydrosol. So uh, we don't get very much essential oil. Yeah, it's really awesome. Yeah. 
And so uh, even your site says uh, that you specialize in aromatic and hard-to-find native uh, plants. And so that's, that's absolutely fascinating for me. And so yeah. other than uh, companies that are uh, purchasing from you, do you um, ever sell uh, plants to uh, restaurants and, you know, smaller, smaller places, probably closer to you? We do. We sell through a distributor uh, that's based out of Ringo's, New Jersey, Zone 7, uh, as well as another distributor, Harvest Drop, uh, which is out of uh, uh, New Jersey as well. And they both specialize in uh, local-focused or locally-focused restaurants, and they only sell locally-produced product. Okay. So we, we've been working with Zone 7 since we started um, providing things like edible flowers. Uh, we did provide vegetables at one point, but we mm-hmm. just couldn't compete with the larger, you know, more, mm-hmm. uh, production farms that are able to put out, you know, hundreds and hundreds of pounds of products. We just couldn't compete. So we focused more on the edible flowers and herbs okay. and they have been both very supportive of us through our transition. And, um, and that's, we still do, we just still do provide for those markets. That's, that's very interesting. So, um, one thing that I wanted to ask you about is I know that you use biodynamic farming and, uh, why did you decide to use it? And so you talked a little bit about the fact that you didn't want to use Roundup uh, from the start, but can you talk mm-hmm. to us a little bit more about creating this healthier eco- ecosystem that you were able to develop, um, in your farm, on your land. So how does it work? Why do it? How difficult it is? Um, Why would someone... So I understand that a lot of people that are listening to this, they're probably not going to go and start their own farm. But what I want them to start thinking about is where they are purchasing from and what are some of the questions and what are some of the things that they need to start thinking about? So biodynamic farming is an approach to farming that basically approaches the farm as an ecosystem as, or any organic farming approach really should, but Mm -hmm. biodynamic goes a little bit deeper. And once the goal is to have a closed loop system so that you're not bringing in any inputs, any nutrients needed on site are, are, are there through recycling in some fashion. So For example, you may have animals uh, through certain fields that you're moving through pasture that provide uh, manure that's then uh, becoming taken up by the soil, and then that is a higher nutrient quality uh, soil. So Mm -hmm. you you may have animals moving through before you then have a production of a plant crop. Um, So the idea with biodynamics is basically incorporating all users of a system together Mm -hmm. so that you're basically not having to bring inputs in. Mm -hmm. Uh, We don't, we have not reached that goal. We had chickens for our first many years and we were bringing in, there's an agricultural school near us that had a very excellent (laughs) composting system where they actually composted animals Mm -hmm. and we would um, add that compost to our soil. They're about two miles away. And we, had moved away from animals because we don't live on site Mm -hmm. and we don't own the land and we had problems with maintaining fencing. And we had, uh, for example, with the chickens, we had uh, a lot of pressure from foxes. 
so we we decided to focus on organic production first as our goal and Mm -hmm. then our we're working with our certifier to incorporate more of the biodynamic practices over time so when we first started farming biodynamic the biodynamic approach in addition to being kind of a whole systems approach um it also uses what's called preparations which are almost like homeopathic applications to the land Mm -hmm. so the, the best example i can use is horsetail. So horsetail is made into a, the herb horsetail is made into a preparation, which is supposed to bring water energy to your site. And mm-hmm. if you think about horsetail from an herbal perspective, it's high in silica, mm-hmm. um, holds moisture. Uh, and the way that they use it is they, they make a kind of like a fermentation preparation with it. And then they sprinkle that finished product on your soil or injected into your compost or there's different things that you do with these different preparations Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and uh and basically you're bringing the energy of that plant and that plant's gifts to your site and so there is an understanding of the cosmos and the energy that you're bringing down from the heavens uh, to your site as well and my husband is the one that's really trained in biodynamics i'm not going to speak knowledgeably about it because it's not my um, it's not my training. It's his training. He okay. studied with Gunther Hawk. Um, but we are little by little, we started out very, um, focused on it and realized it was difficult to do mm-hmm. and farm as new farmers that weren't experienced. So we do the best we can. And okay. I, like I said, we're working with our certifier to kind of transition over time to being fully biodynamic, but it, uh, we, we're not sure that it can ever be achieved without bringing animals to our site. Okay. All right. That's great. Thank you. Mm-hmm. And then the mm-hmm. other piece that I also wanted to um, ask you about is uh, you also talk about the fact that your herbs are grown by herbalists. Why do you think it's important yeah. to really understand the plants and why why is this concept really important to you? Well, one of the things that I have become acutely aware of in studying plants for so long is the pressures that are placed on wild plant populations. That's one thing. Uh, I've, I've gone to plant stands and seen what's happened, for example, with the local forager movement and the pressure on leeks. I mean, uh, leeks are this really popular foodie thing to get access to in spring, but I go to the same place every year and I never harvest leeks. And I've, I, I just go and monitor my site mm-hmm. to see how the leek population is. And every year it's more and more diminished. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's because people are going into the woods with backpacks and filling them up okay. um, without any understanding of really the impact of their behavior. I think that their intentions are good, but I don't think they realize what they're doing. So that's one of the reasons why I think that knowing herbs, having studied herbs, having studied uh, ecosystems and um, plant life cycles, knowing how long it takes for plants to reproduce. That's one thing that I think is uh, really important for anyone growing herbs to know, because then you can sell your product better. In my opinion, that way you can sure. argue for reasons why it would be good to buy, say, black cohosh that's been cultivated versus uh, wildcrafted. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then also p- harvest times. So an example is nettle. Nettle is a plant that is best harvested when it's young. Mm-hmm. And most people that study herbalism learn, you know, you don't want to harvest it once it starts to you know, go into its flower production mode. It starts to produce more organic acids that interact with our bodies and have an effect on our kidneys. And so you, you want to just 
harvest it when it's young and then it's apparently healthier for you. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so the, the thing about metal I've found is that conventional large scale farming operations that grow nettle harvest all through the stages. Mm-hmm. They're not, they're farmers. They're not necessarily herbalists. And so um, that's an example of a plant that I've gotten from large herbal companies in really poor condition, realizing after the fact, after buying it, that it was harvested way too late in its growth mm-hmm. cycle. Mm-hmm. So that's a, that's a good example of where I think it's important for people to understand plants, um, from an herbalist perspective. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. so yeah, and I've been, my husband <laughs> and everyone that works here, uh, has, I basically train them in the basics of herbalism. I teach a NERB class that runs through the season called um, farm-based herbalism is kind of the general concept that I've applied to it. And I teach people about hands-on herbalism as opposed to more clinically focused. Okay. We take them out in the field and we harvest and we make things and start to kind of really appreciate the different cycles of plants and when the best time to use them is. Okay. And you do this just for your employees or uh, you have a class that you offer to the public as well? I have a class that I offer to the public. This year I have 27 students. Wow. Can you talk a little bit more Mm -hmm. about it? Yeah. So I, it's a program that I started a few years back in a smaller version. So I, I wanted to, I had, I kept just as people at the farmer's market would approach me with questions about their health. People were approaching me at the farmer's market with questions about how to do things with plants. Mm -hmm. You know, they would buy plants from me and then want to know what to do with them. Mm -hmm. And so I decided that I should offer something to the community uh, in the form of a class. And so I started a program that was a little bit shorter. It was a six-month, once-a-month program. I think, no, the first year, I think it was five months, Mm -hmm. once a month. And they would come. um, I had five students the first year. Mm -hmm. And uh, we would we would you know, go out and harvest calendula. And then we'd learn how to process it, put it in the dryer. Then the next month we'd pull it out of the dryer and then make it into oil. And then we'd make lotion, you know, so we, we would kind of go through each phase of the medicine making cycle through the seasons. Sure. And I would have a little section on each one with botany and basic plant identification, which is another important thing and reason why you should have herbalists <laughs> farming herbs so of that course. they know what they're working with. Mm-hmm. I should have mentioned that, but, um, then I would, t- I would teach botany, you know, how to identify basic plant families and then also individual plants. And then we would do a little bit about anatomy and physiology and then a body system's interaction with certain herbs. So we would talk a little bit about skin, for example, just going back to calendula, and I might cover the skin, uh, you know, the integumentary system along with learning about herbs that are mm-hmm. uh, used with this system typically. So... Uh, it was a full day class each month, and it's typically outdoors aside from that mm-hmm. lecture in which I'm teaching by PowerPoint. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So now I, this year I have three groups of nine. So I keep it small because okay. more than really more than eight is too much to me. But this year I had so much interest, I increased the class size to nine okay. um, to accommodate some extra people. And so I do it's a seven month program and it's one day a month. One day a month. And so is it weekend, the weekday? How does it typically work out? Uh, I have one group that's on the weekend on or weekday on Thursdays, and then I have a Saturday group and I have a Sunday group. Wow. You are one busy lady. Um, 
And so if someone who lives uh, relatively close to you, if they wanted to learn more about it, what would be the best way to do that? Uh, I do have information on my website at barefootbotanicals.net. Okay. But they can also email me at linda at barefootbotanicals.net. Okay, perfect. Linda, is there anything else that we have not discussed that you think would be interesting for this audience to hear? I just think it's really important for people to recognize the abundance and gifts that gardens can provide them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and and how I think of the connection that people gain just by learning, even just to identify the plants around them, mm-hmm. um, you know, plants like that are under their feet, plantain and yarrow and some of these very common dandelion, very common plants. The thing that's most exciting for me with my students each season is how excited they get mm-hmm. just from learning something as simple as you can eat dandelion flowers. And then they engage directly with the environment around them. And that is healing in and of itself. You don't have to know about constituents or, you know, you don't have to know about all these physiological concepts to make that connection and to be and have your life. I think it just is fully life enhancing to make those connections. That is so Um, beautiful. Yeah. So I, I just, I think that those simple little things, even if you connect with just a couple plants and, start to realize I learned this past year that the military, the U S military, a friend of mine is a military mom. And she said, dandelion is actually the flower, the plant slash flower that the military, at least her son's branch, which I believe is army um, has adopted as their flower because it roots in wherever it is. Mm -hmm. And so Mm -hmm. it's a plant that if you're in the military and you're sent anywhere around the world, you're going to see a dandelion there. Right, And so it's a way for them to have connection and it's a way for them to recognize the power that these plants have and that they can take that into themselves whenever they see it. So I just, I was really excited when I heard that. And I just think it's really important for us to remember our, our roots. Yes. Yes. I completely agree with you. Um, Linda, tell us again how someone can learn more about you and what you and Eric uh, are doing and learn from you. So we have a website. Uh, It's barefootbotanicals.net. And on the website, I have some information about our history and what we, you can see images of our farm. Uh, we also have a shopping cart in there where you could purchase hydrosols that we've made or herbal syrups that we've made because that's another little sideline business that we're doing. Um, but if they have, if people have you know questions about how anything about the classes, they can email me directly. Perfect. Um, and I am considering offering more intensive classes for people that live out of the area, uh, but that's for future years. Okay. where I would offer something similar to my extended program, but over a couple different weekends. So maybe two, three-day weekends over the course of the season, as opposed to a seven-day spread out over seven months. 
That 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 sounds um, great. That sounds great. And so I will include your website and uh, ways to uh, reach out to you. I will also include your social media. I think you have one of the most beautiful Instagram page with all the flowers. I, I, I think I mentioned to you, I think you guys live in paradise. And I know that some, <laughs> sometimes it might not feel that way when you're busy and when you're running and when you're doing things, but it's just such a beautiful land that you are taking care of. So Linda, thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you so much for uh, talking to me. Th this was very inspiring and this was absolutely fascinating. Thank you. Thank you, Lana, for having me. Thank you again for joining us today. I hope you've enjoyed this conversation with Linda Shanahan. You can find all the resources mentioned in today's episode at wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 40. Please subscribe to the show to get the future episodes automatically downloaded to your device. This episode is proudly brought to you by Herb Mentor. Herb Mentor is a forum provided by an innovative herbal education company, learningherbs.com. Some people use Herb Mentor as a personal herbal home study program, while others utilize a vibrant community of curious people wanting to learn more about plants and plant medicine. To learn more about it, please visit the show notes, wellnessinsidernetwork.com slash 40. Thank you again for being here. I appreciate you. Be smart, be healthy, be you. Mm -hmm.